Good morning. I don't know if you noticed, uh, but Will and I tried matching today. I'm, I missed the memo. It was like red and blue, not blue and blue. So sorry, Will. We'll get it next time. Yeah. No, that was a joke. We actually didn't plan that. Um, anyway, so you don't have to raise your hands. Uh, you can if, if you'd like. But how many of you would say that although you know that prayer is to be an extremely vital part of our lives as believers, right? That we're to be men and women of prayer. But how many of you would have to honestly say that a deep, intimate prayer life on any kind of consistent basis has been difficult for you? Or at least at times been difficult for you? I saw like a couple hands, a few nods. Yeah, okay, so I'm not alone. That's good. I know, I'd say over the last couple years in particular, the Lord just been convicting me on this idea of, man, a deep, intimate prayer life. I think there's so much more and, and I, I'm missing out. And so why is it, right, that it's, that it's difficult? Why do you think that is? And I'd say there's, there's so many different answers that we could give. Uh, but the reality is, is, if we were created to be in relationship with God, which we were, then talking to Him in prayer should be one of the most natural things that we do. But it's difficult. And so all the different answers that I'm sure are running through your head, I'll say this, I think probably the, the major part of the problem if we're honest with ourselves, is the simple fact that we just don't get prayer, right? We, I, we don't get the necessity of it. We don't get the greatness of it. We, we don't get even a general understanding of what it is and if it even works. I mean, we really just don't get it. And so therefore, the truth is, it's hard. And, and that's why the Apostle Paul says in the, the book of Romans to labor with him in prayer, I mean, if the Apostle Paul, if for, if for the Apostle Paul, prayer was laborious, like what chance do we have? Right? I mean, it's, it's difficult. Uh, author and pastor Tim Keller uh, shares in uh, his book titled Prayer uh, about a similar struggle of just not getting prayer and, and his journey of developing uh, and discovering a prayer life. Uh, if you know anything about Keller's story, he was a pastor of a small church in Virginia for about nine years uh, before he went to uh, New York City, Manhattan, and started Redeemer Presbyterian Church in 1989. All right, so this was... Uh, Nine years at a small church, planted the church in New York City, 1989. But it wasn't until the fall of 1999, he says. So he's been a pastor for almost 20 years. He's been a Christian for over 30 years. And he was teaching a Bible study on the book of Psalms. And it was during that study that it became clear to him that he really didn't get prayer. And that he really only begun to scratch the surface of what the Bible commanded and what the Bible promised regarding prayer. Well, shortly after that study, that the tragedy of 9-11 struck. And you can imagine the aftermath of 9-11 for a pastor in New York City. And then from there, everything just intensified in his own personal life as his wife started to really struggle with Crohn's disease. And then finally, Tim himself... I go by Tim. I, I mean, I call him Tim, first name, first name basis. Um, Tim, he was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And so all of this was happening, right, in his life, in his church, in his city. And, and at some point during all of that, as Keller recalls, his wife came to him 
and urged him, asking that they start praying every single night together. And she pleaded with him, saying something like this. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss she concluded, well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it just slip our minds. It was at that point that Keller says the penny dropped. And they just saw in their lives the beginning of this journey of developing an impassioned prayer life. And as you read through the book, you start to see into the prayer life of, of Keller and how he prays in different seasons and, and at different times and, and what he focuses on in prayer. And I would say and certainly recommend the book. It's a helpful book. Now, in a similar way, our passage this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, is the Apostle Paul giving us this extremely significant glimpse into his own prayer life. Now, it's not, just a, it's not a universal model uh, for prayer as, as the same as Jesus gave in the Lord's Prayer, but it's Paul in his own prayer for the church, right? For his friends. And obviously, what separates this from Tim Keller's book on prayer is that this is the very inspired word of God. So this is so much more than just helpful. It's life-changing. And it's meant to be instructional for us and to us. So we would do well to take note. And by his grace, deepen our understanding of prayer. And my hope is that we begin to get it and we can start tapping into it. Now, what's interesting as we get started is you actually have four of these types of Paul's own prayers throughout the New Testament. Uh, Will referenced it earlier. You have one in uh, Philippians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Ephesians 1, and then again in Ephesians 3. And if you're able to spend any time in your personal worship this week reflecting on those prayers with even just a quick comparison uh, between all four, you see that what we have here in Ephesians 1 is very consistent with the other three. And so that's demonstrating that this is how Paul customarily prayed for the people he cared about. And really revealing what he believed was the most important thing God could give them. And see, if we can grasp this, it will absolutely begin to transform our prayer life. All right, so let's dive in. We're going to read the passage, and then we're just going to start dissecting and just work through the entire passage together. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, this is the word of God. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. 
What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So to help us navigate through the passage, I want to break it down uh, into two parts, and this will kind of serve as our outline. The first first part I want us to look at is just Paul's overarching appeal in this prayer, the, the main focus of the prayer. And then the second thing that we'll flesh out is the the specific requests that he gives, the the petitions. There's three of them that we'll see that he describes and he fleshes out what it means to know God. So we're going to look at the overarching appeal, and then we'll dive into the three specific requests. Sound good? All right, let's go. Let's go. Starting verse 15. For this reason... Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Okay, so, so quickly, just to give you a little bit of context about the letter of Ephesians and, and this prayer that, that's, that was, what was inspired it, what was the impetus for it. Uh, we know that Paul spent a considerable amount of time in the city of Ephesus as a missionary probably over three years in the city of Ephesus. And that was a long time for Paul in all of his missionary journeys. And it was a fascinating beginning for the church. You can actually read about the start of the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 18 and 19. I'd suggest go home, dive into that because it's crazy fascinating. Uh, You see that the actual entire cultural context of the city of Ephesus really revolved around the Greek temple that was dedicated to the goddess Artemis. There's an image of it there. That, That was this magnificent display. Right? And actually considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And so this was the city. Everything flowed through it. Everything flowed from it. The entire infrastructure of the, of the culture was around this temple. And, and you read that as Paul started moving in with the gospel... And the gospel started taking root. The entire economic infrastructure of the city started to collapse... And because so many people were turning away from the godlessness and empty worship of Artemis and turning in faith to the one true God, this massive riot broke out, persecuting the church because of the impact that the gospel was having on the failing businesses associated with the goddess Artemis. And so you see, you see this extraordinary advancement of the kingdom throughout the city of Ephesus. You see God doing extraordinarily miraculous things through the hands of Paul. So that even the handkerchief that touched Paul's skin was carried out to people diseased and possessed and they were healed. And so there's this immediate, remarkably high impact for the kingdom in the city. And and for three years, Paul ministered there. He then left, continued on in his missionary journeys, and about four years removed from that time spent there, the Apostle Paul, hearing these amazing things about the church of Ephesus, right? That there continues to be this deep faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and, and real evidence of that faith by tangible action and love toward others. Paul, with overwhelming affection, for this church, writes this impassioned letter. 
and tells them that he is consistently, constantly remembering them, showering them in prayer. And listen to the, to the request, the main thing, the overarching appeal that Paul makes to God for the church. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay, so, so the overarching appeal, the, the top of Paul's prayer list, what he's appealing to, to God the Father Almighty on behalf of the church, is that they might know God better. Right? That, that God might give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and that the, the Holy Spirit might continue to do that revealing work in the life of the believer, that they might come and grow and increase in the knowledge of Him. And see, what's so striking... And it's something that's consistent in all three of the personal prayers of Paul is what doesn't make the top of his list. So the top of the list is know God better. But what he isn't praying for, what we don't see in any of the other personal prayers of Paul, is that it has nothing to do with changing circumstances. Now, I really want us to think about this because I feel like we approach God in prayer so often with an agenda of how he should be dealing with the circumstances in our life. And we kind of tell him what we think he should be doing and how he should be handling this and what he needs to do here. We don't see any of that in, in the Apostle Paul's personal prayers. Now, now, as we think about it, listen, the church of Ephesus was in the midst of real hardship and danger, right? I mean, there's this crazy riot and persecution going against the church because of the impact of the gospel. And just the sheer fact and reality that these people, as we do today, live in a fallen and broken world full of disease and death and relational tension and marital issues and, and children going off the deep end and unemployment and problems at the office and oppression and racial tension. Yet, in Paul's personal prayers, you see not one petition for a unified political scene. Or, or for the protection from threats of war and terrorism. Or even for bread for the next meal. Paul simply does not include those things that generally concern the vast majority of our prayers. Right? And almost always top our list of requests. Now, I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. That's not to say that Paul wouldn't or doesn't ask for these things. Indeed, he does. 1 Timothy chapter 2, for example, Paul directs his readers to pray for peace, for, for good government, for the needs of the world. And so we absolutely need to be praying about physical, circumstantial needs that are true in our lives and in this world. But what our passage reveals, coinciding with the other personal prayers, is that what Paul asked most frequently for his friend and what he believed was the most important thing that God could give them has nothing to do with changing circumstances. It's that in whatever the circumstances that we face, that we might know God better. So grab hold of that, right? In whatever the circumstances that we face, that we might know God better. 
And then he elaborates on that further in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I love that language. As one commentator explained, biblically, the heart is the center of the entire self. It's the repository of one's core commitments, deepest loves, and most fundamental hopes that control our feeling, thinking, and behavior. To have the eyes of the heart enlightened with a particular truth means to have it penetrate and grip us so deeply that it changes the whole person. Okay, so in other words, to know God in such a way that it penetrates and grips us so deeply, it changes you. So for example, we, we may know that God is holy, but when our heart's eyes are enlightened to that truth, then we understand it not only intellectually, but emotionally. We find God's holiness wondrous and beautiful, and therefore volitionally, we avoid attitudes and behavior that would displease and dishonor Him. See, our, our wants and our longing and our desires are at the core of our identity. Our actions and behaviors flow from, they reverberate from our hearts, the epicenter of the human person. And see, the point here is we so often tie our hearts to things try to root our identity in things and direct our affection and love to things, to, to rival gods instead of the one who redeemed us and for whom we were created. Paul is saying that the absolute most important thing in no matter the circumstance, our most fundamental need is to have our hearts enlightened to a deeper understanding and knowledge of Him. Continually. Because this isn't a one-time prayer. Because knowing God better is what we must have above everything if we are to face the circumstances of life. You guys feel that? Alright, so that's the overarching appeal. Let's dive in to the, the specifics. And what I want to do is I want to look at kind of the three specific petitions in a more general sense, and then we'll dissect each, three, uh, uh, each of the three as we finish up today. So let's look 18 and 19, the three specific petitions, fleshing out what our hearts need to grasp. That you might know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? All right, so generally speaking, what, what Paul is saying here is that I want you to know who you are and what you have. I want your heart to more fully grasp the identity that we have in Christ. To truly grasp all the past and present and future benefits that you have and that you've received as a believer. Now, uh, of course, all Christians know about these benefits in their minds, right? But the prayer is for something so much deeper than that. Right? It's, it's to have a more vivid sense of the reality of God's presence and shared life with Him. I heard a great illustration. I think it might be helpful to, to uh, spell this out a bit. Imagine a little six-year-old girl. She's in an orphanage. Uh, and she, she just desperately wants a mom. 
And one day a woman comes in, sits down, talks to her, and they're absolutely in sync. And their affection and connection is immediate. And they talk and they talk and they fall in love. And the woman says to the little girl, you know what? I want to adopt you as my daughter, bring you home to be my own. Now, what do you think the little girl's going to do? Is the little girl going to say, well, hold on, wait a second, that just depends. Right, let, me, let me look at your portfolio. Uh, I want to see all your bank accounts and investments, make sure they're diversified correctly. And then let me ask you, like, what are you going to do about my college fund? Because I know I, you're going to want me to go to college. I want to see all those things before I decide. I need to know your plan. No. Right, of course not. What is she going to do but jump into her mother's arms? She's going to say, I love you, mom. You're mine. Now, as the illustration goes, it happens to be that this woman who adopts this little girl is part of a royal family, one of the most wealthy and powerful women in the world. And, and even if that woman told the six-year-old girl all of that, it probably wouldn't have meant much to her as a six-year-old girl. But right as she grows up, as she gets older and older, the girl will more and more understand all that she is and has in her mom. And that she will have the security and be able to have such an impact and such an influence and help so many people. And she begins to understand more and more who she is. And the strength that she goes out into the world and faces any circumstance that, she come, that comes her way. See, Paul is praying that as we continue to grow as believers, that we might truly begin to understand and fully comprehend who we are and what we can be and the riches and glory that are ours in Christ Jesus. Because, listen, the eyes of our heart are so often blindfolded to that reality. All right, so let's now break it down because I want us to really grasp, we've got to grasp this. So we'll break down each of these three requests. The first request was that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us. All right, do you, do you really know that hope that comes from the glorious reality that he has called you? Paul spells it out in 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. I want to read this for you. Uh, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What a glorious hope that you are his adopted son and daughter, not because you're wise, 
Not because you're strong. Not because you're good. But because before the foundation of the world was even made, God set his affection on you and said, I want that man. I want that woman in my family. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to bring them into my family. That's the love that he set on you. And it's love in spite of the fact that you're not powerful. In spite of the fact that you're not wise. In spite of the fact that you're not good. That it has nothing to do with what you do or have done. It's because of him you're in Christ Jesus. It rests completely on what Jesus Christ has already accomplished on your behalf. Right? How, he, how he called you out of spiritual death into spiritual life to be his own, opening the eyes of your heart to believe. And Paul is saying, I want you to know that hope. I want you to know that confidence. That if we actually begin to taste and begin to grasp that you are chosen, that he loves you just because he loves you. Not because you're starting to measure up. Not because now finally your good starting to outweigh your bad. Just because he loves you. The strength that you go out into the world with, with face the circumstances of life with that level of hope changes things. That we might have that hope. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's keep rolling. Second petition that we see. That you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Perhaps one of the most just astounding statements in the Bible. And one that we can actually just read over and not even pause to think of the implications. Notice, it doesn't say the riches of your glorious inheritance. It's, it's actually not talking about your inheritance. It says the riches of, of His glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of God's inheritance. Alright, so try to, try to capture this. Right? And, and I think another illustration might be helpful. We all know the excitement of receiving a gift right, from someone that you absolutely adore. You can remember those Christmas gifts that you're wrapping and wrapping and it's like the Lego set, whatever it might be. And you're just ecstatic. Thank you, mom. I love it. All right. Now try to just imagine for a minute that you're Christmas shopping for Jeff Bezos. Is that how you say his last name? The, the, the founder of Amazon. Right, the man's taking over the world. He's the wealthiest, I mean, it's kind of scary. Uh, the wealthiest man, multi-billionaire. All right, so you're, you're Christmas shopping for Jeff. All right, and you give him the gift on Christmas morning, and he, he tears open the wrapping paper, and he's absolutely ecstatic. He says, oh my goodness, I've always wanted one of these. Like, what kind of gift would it have to be for a multi-billionaire to like, think, like, oh, wow, I've, I've always... Right? I mean, he could just go out and buy anything he wants. I don't know how you would buy a gift for Jeff. Now, what about God? Right? The, the almighty creator God who owns the universe and truly lacks absolutely nothing. But considers something his special treasure, considers something his highest and glorious inheritance. And Paul tells us that it's us. 
As, as believers, the most precious, treasured inheritance of God is you. We are his glory. As, as a parent, it's impossible to not be proud uh, of your child when, when he or she wins an award. My, my fourth and second grader won an award at the end of this summer, this last year, for AR, uh, Advanced Reading. Anyone familiar with AR? It's not really even relevant. Um, but they were like the top five of like elementary school for the most minutes read over the summer. And I mean, I can't tell you how proud I was when they came home with that gold medal. And in reality, actually, I had to keep my ego in check. I was like, man, apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I mean, we're really winning. No, I'm just, I, no but the reality is I was, my, I'm bound to them as my children, right? As their father. God says that he has bound his glory with you and me as his children. You see the strength and buoyancy that we can go out into the world with and, and, and face the circumstances of life with when our hearts truly grasp that, right? Why worry about what anyone else thinks about insults or criticisms or when we have the, the honor of the king who cares or worries about the opinions of the serfs? We are his glory, do we believe that? We should. Let's get an amen there. Let's keep rolling. Third specific petition that you may know, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. All right, so do you, do you hear that? Do you, do you feel the energy that the Apostle Paul, throughout the entire prayer, really, straining to communicate what it means to truly know God, and then culminating with this impassioned declaration that the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead is at work in those who believe. Right, that, that same power that resurrected your life right, as you were spiritually dead with no capacity to incline yourself to God. Right, that same power that resurrects what is dead, that brings life, that overcomes and has victory over things that bring death is actively at work in those who believe. Do you believe that power is working in you? Right? Because there is such freedom when our hearts can grasp this. Right? That just as you and I have right standing before God, not by our efforts, not by our works, that we are justified before God by the cross of Christ alone, not by our power, but by His. Right? So the, the promise is, is that same power is actively preserving and sustaining, and carrying us, and working in us, and through us. And so, try to grab a hold of this. Right? When, when, when you feel you're walking around in weakness, Jesus is saying to you, no, no, no. I've got you. 
My, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. When, when the fear that seems so crippling in your life invades, or when that doubt that you're carrying on your shoulders is just too overwhelming, or that pain and hurt from a broken relationship, or that family member that you've been praying for for years and years, please hear this. We don't, on our own resource, truly have the ability to overcome. We don't possess, in our own resource, the power of life and death. We can't resurrect anything, but Jesus Christ does. And, and his power is actively working in you and through you, resurrecting, overcoming, giving life. And he says to you, you're mine. I want you to just say that to yourself. Like, I am his. I am his. He is faithful. He is strong. And that is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward those who believe. So then what have we, what have we learned? What do we, what do we take from this? One thing is keep pursuing Him. Right? Keep laying it down at His feet in prayer. See, Paul's greatest concern is for the people of God in whatever the circumstances that they face, that they might understand and know and comprehend, comprehend Him more fully and understand the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because knowing God better is what we must have above all if we are to face the circumstances of life. So, let that be what consumes our prayer life. And I believe that to the extent that we do, the prayer life of this body, of this church, can continue to be transformed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful for your beauty, the, the wonder that the God of the universe pursues, gives life, sets his affection on people like me. Lord, that even before the foundation of the world, that you set your affection on us as your children and brought us to faith through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you might enlighten us to the truth and the reality of the identity that we have in you. That we might truly grasp and know the hope that you have called us to be your own. That, that we are indeed your glorious inheritance, that you bound your glory with us. And Lord, that your power is actively working, resurrecting, overcoming, giving life. Lord, help us to go out into this world with that strength. Not ours, but yours. Because you are capable. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord, as their Savior. Lord, that I, would, I pray that you would give them the eyes of faith even today. 
That today might be the day of their salvation where they transfer their trust from you or from from themselves to you completely and fully. Lord, I pray that you would continue to transform our prayer life and that we would go out in strength because you are strong. In Jesus' precious name, amen.